Welcome to the Ask Alika podcast, where we answer all your questions about business, marketing, and technology. Welcome to episode five of Ask Alika. Hello, Beth. Hi, Zion. How are you going? Great. I'm actually really pumped because this is the last episode that we're going to do before we start promoting the podcast. We haven't even released the link and people are asking about it, so I'm pretty pumped. And we are going to do a recap today on the past month. So, we've interviewed two people. We've had two episodes where we've discussed people's questions uh, on everything from artificial intelligence to audio marketing to chatbots to Amazon coming to Australia to how do you build a killer app. It's been a big month. It has. It has. We've had talked about a lot of interesting things. So, we just wanted to, I suppose, go over it a little bit. Yeah. See, uh, see how it all sounded and what we think of it now a month later. Yeah, so kick us off, Beth. Alrighty, so episode one, we started off with a few questions that came from our network uh, through LinkedIn. We talked about three main things. The first one was audio marketing, so that's very meta of us to be talking about audio marketing on a podcast, Um, but basically, you know, how interesting it is that it's really on the rise. Yeah, so I think think we concluded that yeah, you, you know, that's the next thing to do. If you if you have conquered some of the elementary digital marketing things, the next thing to conquer, I think for the Perth guys anyway, is podcasting because everyone, you know, a lot of people drive to work. If they don't, they take a train and what do you do? You listen to either music or podcasts. Exactly. It's really, I know so many people that do it, so many more than I realized yeah. before you start that conversation that you're like, actually, heaps of people do this. So, there's a big market there. And I think people don't... Um, necessarily advertise that they listen to podcasts. Mm. So when you, but when you ask them, it's surprising how many people do. Exactly. So we think that's going to be yeah, a really big up and coming thing and encourage lots of people to, to get on board. Uh, the next thing we talked about was uh, Amazon coming to Australia, which is a big one, going to mean a lot of changes um, for the Australian, particularly e-commerce market, um, but not for the worse, we don't think. No, I think I mean, people are threatened by it. So, we concluded that people are threatened by it, but people should really use it as another tool to sell their products. So, exactly. you know, I think we concluded that focus on your website because at the end of the day, your website is your IP. You own it. You control it, but also sell on other things like eBay, open up an eBay store, sell on Amazon Australia when it comes and try to be an, an Amazon priority seller. Yeah. Early adopter, get in first. That's it. Be the one that... Amazon chooses to sell the product because you don't want to have someone else selling your product on there. Exactly. Lots of opportunity there. And the other one was chatbots, which we will get into a little bit more um, further further down this podcast uh, because it is related to artificial intelligence. And basically, they're out there. You can use them already. It's, you know, don't be afraid of them. Just give it a try and see what it could do for your business. Yeah. So, there's a lot of software out there already, some of it free. So, so give it a trial, especially if you have an e-commerce uh, website. Definitely. So, episode two, we started off with a pretty uh, contentious one, a question we get a lot, which was, can I remove bad reviews? And the answer is actually no, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because you can manage them. That's right. So, unfortunately, you can't remove them. I mean, you can, but it's a very- If they're fake. Only if they're fake and if you can prove it and it's a lengthy, really lengthy process. So, our conclusion was manage your bad reviews and don't be freaked out by them. Respond to them. Use it as an opportunity to improve, to find out what, what you could do better. 
yeah, number one, respond to them. And number two is um, get more positive reviews to push them down. Mm-hmm. Um, did you say respond to them? Was that? Yeah, 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 definitely. Like ask a question. If someone leaves a bad review, say, hey, I'm so sorry to hear that you had a bad experience. Can can you tell us a little bit more about why and what we could do to help? And and often people will revoke their reviews if you if they feel like they've been heard. That's right. And that's happened to a few clients of us where they've had people revoke reviews because they've the client has responded. Exactly. So the other question we got that week in episode two was how do I scale my business? And we kind of started off thinking that answering this question would kind of go down two paths, one for more professional services and one for startups. But the answer kind of ended up being the same for both. And it was, you know, hire the right people and network like you've never networked before uh, and learn how to sell. Yeah. the the and the and big Yeah. And just to beat on that drum, for me, selling is, is the number one thing. So, obviously, if you don't get the money in, there's no point worrying about your product, the quality of it or the operations, like there's no point. So, for me, it starts with just get the freaking money coming in and learn how to sell. So, and and I think uh, and I remember concluding that most startup businesses don't actually know how to sell and they just get really romantic about the product. Yeah. They get romantic about having staff but they don't, they couldn't sell, you know, they can't sell. Yeah, if you can have the most amazing product or service or idea in the world and if no one knows about it, you're, you're dead in the water before you even start. So, exactly. definitely find someone that can do that for you if you can't yourself. Yeah. So, that's where it goes back to, again, hiring the right people. So, it all comes full circle. Um, and the other one was how do I turn strategy into execution? And that was, I suppose that's an interesting one and one that we're quite passionate about here, um, you in particular, Zion, because in the end, it comes down to just just do something, like yeah. start. Yeah, so strategy for me, we concluded that a strategy for me anyway is almost like an idea. Everyone has ideas, everyone has strategies and, and people like to get romantic and, and they write down their 100-page their strategies and then nothing happens. So, for me, it's all about execution and if I were to choose, I'd rather someone to execute rather than someone who was you know, really great at strategy but not execution. So, do, 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 things tend to fall into place when you, when you do and often things change when you do like, for example, this podcast, a lot of, like, I didn't, didn't know what the heck I was doing and, and suddenly after five episodes, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm starting to understand the direction we should go now and things are falling into place. So, and it came from just doing, just starting. Exactly. So, have a strategy but make sure you start, do one thing at a time, pick the low-hanging fruit and just start doing things. That's um, definitely the way to go. So, episode three, we had a guest speaker, Arthur Ong, come in and talk about apps because he is a pretty experienced app developer. So, what we thought we'd do um, in recapping that episode was a bit of a, you know, do we agree or disagree because Arthur had some opinions on things um, and we just wanted to go through and, yeah, see what what the feeling in the room is today after having kind of listened to that and, and seeing how we feel. So, one of the key things, um, one of the first things Arthur said was, all that we asked Arthur was, what is the biggest ingredient for failure with app startups? And he said, yeah, not writing things down, which I'm just going to go on the offensive right away and say, I'd actually disagree with that. My experience is that it's not validating your product or your idea. That's the biggest thing that I've seen is, you know, people have this awesome idea, but they've had done no market validation. They've had a, you know, three of their friends and their mum say, great, great idea, son. And not actually checked with the people that are going to be buying it. And if you don't do that, you have no product. You have no way of knowing if anyone's actually going to like what you've done. 
That's right. Sorry, Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the rest, the rest is pretty good. The rest I agree with. Um, and I'm sure that's something he would have seen as well. Um, yeah, it's true. I mean, not writing things down is a big one. Oh, generally, if you um, don't write things down, you are going to forget half of the information yeah. that you collect and that is such a terrible thing. But, I'm a big fan of writing. <laughs> but I also agree with you on that even before then. If you haven't talked to some people about your idea to validate whether it's good, especially experts yeah. in the field, um, then you know, then you won't let, like then you won't know whether to even go to the next step, which is to write stuff down. It might be actually a ridiculous idea, and there's no market for it. <laughs> yeah, you can't uh, build a business on the basis of a, a problem that doesn't have doesn't exist basically yeah, exactly. you're building a solution to a problem that no one has uh, not a great <laughs> plan so the next thing that Arthur that we asked Arthur was what is the biggest ingredient for success with app startups and he said talking to the right people and so essentially and that I 100% agree with it's your network mm. it's it's who you know you need to be connected to the right people that can get you to the place you need to be whether that's hiring the right people getting investment from the right people getting advice and mentorship from the right yeah. people your network is so vitally important I actually agree with that as well Definitely. Uh, what's the most underrated part of developing an app? Arthur said writing a plan. And yeah, I would agree with that. That goes back to our strategy um, versus execution thing. If you don't know where you're going, you can't ever get there. Yeah, Arthur said, I do agree because Arthur said that a lot of people, and we get this as well with when people try to build websites or complex websites, they often have an idea in their head and it's jumbled up and they're, uh, often the excitement really supersedes the intelligence yeah. behind the idea. Yeah. Um, and, and because of that, it's all jumbled up. Yeah. And they can't execute on We can't execute on anything for them. It's got to be some business intelligence behind it as well. Uh, so, what do why do some other countries such as Israel and South Korea tend to, exist, tend to succeed in tech? And Arthur said hard work and the fact that they're open to feedback. And, yeah, I would agree with that. I think, you know, everyone – people – and I've seen it myself, people can get precious about their idea and, and not be willing to pivot and it is a hard thing to do. So, I think being open to that is very, very important. Yeah, I read a book um, called Startup Nation. Mm -hmm. So, read it if you if you want to have a good read and it was about how is Israel as a nation, how they worked um, on their businesses and on their startups and one of the big things was they were really big on feedback so, practically, what does that mean? Well, that means that after every project, they would actually um, make a time to sit in a room together and go through methodically mm. and, and they, they spent a long time doing this for every session. They went through methodically what went wrong, what went right, what can, they can do better mm. next time and they would constantly do that. Whereas in, in Perth, we don't do that as much. Yeah. It's more like if we kind of remember to do it we'll do it very quickly yeah but these guys document it it's very important to them and then they go at it again exactly um, that goes back to the first question is it's that validation have you validated and are you yeah. constantly validating it because that's essentially yeah. what it is it's it's constant feedback that yeah. will get will get you to where you're going essentially and, and the last thing on that which i agree with is the hard work which mm. is in perth i do think because of the mining boom we've gotten comfortable yeah and you know now we we can't be as comfortable yeah as we were Got to be ambitious now. That's it. Get That's ahead it. of the game. Uh, so, episode four, we had Joe. Joe came on to talk about artificial intelligence, which is very much a buzzword at the moment. There's so much going on in that space. And we 
you know, there were some really interesting things he had to say. And I suppose to start off with the most uh, topical question when it comes to AI, are you worried about AI killing us? And uh, Joe's answer was, no, humans have a spirit, robots don't. Um, which is a great answer, I think. And I suppose I'm, I'm more on the Mark Zuckerberg side than the Elon Musk side of this equation personally. I think we need to approach it with sensible caution and not, not let Skynet happen and, you know, not, not let the movies become reality. But I think it, it needs to, there needs to be international standards, it needs to be documented, it needs to be well controlled. But I don't think that in the near future anyway, we're all going to die from robots. Yeah, that's, that's interesting, an interesting point. So I would agree. I would agree with Joe, not because he's my brother, but because <laughs> I do believe that humans have a spirit and robots don't. Mm. And because of that alone, I don't believe that robots would will ever have a have a capacity to feel the way we do. Yeah, and to intuitively think the way we do. Could they? That's such a great point. Because robots don't have a spirit, could they ever have the desire to kill? Like that's a that becomes almost like a. A theoretical, you know, theology question. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I think you he may be onto something there and you may be onto something there. So, yeah, so I mean, look, everyone's got their opinion personally. I, I just don't see it happening. I, like I see robots getting really good at at tasks. Yeah. But like Joel was saying, what they do depends on the data sets given to them mm-hmm. by a human and they can extend that data to a certain point. But can they really start to involve human emotion and eq Mm. i I don't think so but look i could be wrong yeah and that leads nicely into the second question uh how does someone prepare for ai so they don't get replaced and joe's answer was that you just need to understand and use the ai software that's already available and and not be afraid of it essentially and I, i would agree with that although i would say that you know, if you're in a profession that's very repetitive and it's, you know, task orientated and, and it is something that a robot could do eventually, yeah. think about moving into a more creative industry that requires emotional intelligence and and that that human spirit, that that creativity, that that connecting with people. Because that is something that a robot will never do anywhere near as well as a human, but they will be able to do repetitive tasks a lot better than humans with less error. So it's finding that, finding yourself in the right position to meet AI without being yeah replaced by it yeah I, I agree and I think that if you were to ask me what is the most important skill to pick up to not be replaced by Skynet I think <laughs> I think human intelligence I think you can't I mean I know there's introverts there's extroverts there's people that like to work in silos and that but I think everyone including the introvert needs to improve on their emotional intelligence absolutely because you cannot replace that definitely no i completely agree so that was episode four and now we've got obviously being the ask a lick podcast we have a question so someone has asked this question there seems to be a reluctance among digital marketers not to embrace direct response copywriting why is this so considering it's one of the most highest paid skills in the world um I'm, i'm by no means having a crack i just want the honest truth so this is a great question and it's probably good to start with what is direct response copywriting? And in our, in my opinion, um, what I've seen of it, it's it's basically eliciting a response from a reader with copy that's that's is controversial to a degree yeah. and is asking for a response. So asking for some kind of call to action. So it's used a lot by marketers to generate leads and that's essentially what it, it – it's a tool for that. Yeah, and you see – 
just to give some practical examples, you see this in real estate a lot when you get those letters mm-hmm. saying, dear so-and-so, uh, you know, this suburb is or, or do you want to sell your house for a million dollars or whatever it is yeah. and you're like, whoa. Maybe I do. All I of a sudden know. you get excited and hopeful, right? <laughs> mm. And then in LinkedIn, I, you know, I see, see this sometimes where someone will do a teaser line as their first line in their post, which is, I had $2 in my pocket in 1996. Yeah. And then, now yeah, yeah. If you want the, you know, if you want to uh, be rich like me, to my success. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's two great examples of what direct response copywriting is. And I suppose I would disagree to a, to a degree in that I don't think there is a huge reluctance among digital marketers, not the ones that I work with, you know, here at Alika, we, we embrace that a lot. It's, it's a great way to construct a website around the idea of, of having provocative, um, text and call to actions and imagery and, and messaging so that you can elicit a response so that you can get people to make an inquiry. That's, and that's a very different approach to indirect marketing with display ads and things like that, which which are do tend to be a little bit more generic and things like that. So it's I haven't seen that reluctance personally. Um, what about you, Zion? Yeah, I I would agree, and I think it was Carlo uh, that wrote, uh, that asked this question. I would agree with with the question because I mean we try the best we can to use direct cop- uh, response copywriting. But in terms of what I've seen in the market, yes, there is a reluctance more so because of resourcing. Right. You know, like especially in Perth, we don't have huge head offices here. Mm. So, um, it you know, not everyone has an in-house copywriter. Not everyone can outsource that component. So, purely because of resourcing and time and cost, mm. people don't prioritize yeah. the, the thought around the copy, you know, mm. that exactly. you need for this. And the other thing I would say is that sometimes digital marketers get too nerdy. So we all get <laughs> we get too nerdy in our field and we think about SEO rankings and meta tags and yeah. on page, off page SEO and backlinks and all that. Yeah. And so Keyword we prioritize rankings. Yeah. So we prioritize that over the, you know, direct response stuff. Yeah. Which essentially and that's that really is the most important part of any kind of digital marketing. It's are you is whatever you're doing creating a response is someone clicking the call button filling in the form sending you an email if it's not doing that then it's not generally that means it's not working so it's what do you do to to fix that and direct response copywriting is a great great avenue i think it's great i think it's fantastic and we all need to do more of it including even including us like we're not perfect but i do think there is a reluctance more because of firstly resourcing I think there's a reluctance because, just to summarize, because we do sometimes get a bit too nerdy in the technical side of things and, and we forget the business aspect, the customer service aspect of, of marketing. Definitely. And also people don't want to be too controversial either. I think yeah. there's a play it safe aspect that people get caught up in. Especially in the West, especially mm. especially in Perth, we're very politically correct. Mm-hmm. We're really politically correct now more so than ever before because of mainstream media. And that's another five-hour conversation we can have. <laughs> Let's not go into that yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that can really stop us from being creative. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's that's a key thing to remember is that with direct um, response copywriting and any kind of digital marketing, it's it's the creativity that comes into it that makes it work that connects people on an emotional level that's yeah. where you get the best results yeah totally yeah totally. so that's 
our recap for the last four episodes and a little question at the end of just something that we thought was an, an interesting conversation to have. So please keep sending your questions through. We love answering them. Uh, we've got lots of great guest speakers coming up, some we amazing do. Perth people. We do. We so. have uh, we had Charlie Gunningham mm-hmm. coming on, so stay tuned for that. And I won't reveal the other guests, but we've got some good people coming on. We do. We are. We want to make this as valuable as possible for all of you. So any feedback you have, we are open to it as referenced in episode three. Uh, please send us your feedback. We want to keep improving as much as possible. And yeah, give us a like, give us a share, subscribe, do all the things. And we will be back next week uh, with Ask Alika. Thanks so Sweet. much, guys. See you later, guys. Bye. 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 Uh, 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 uh